I'm Ben Solak, and I host the Ringer NFL Draft Show with Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Craig Horbeck. Join us twice a week as we talk everything NFL Draft and break down all the players who will make your team better. Except the Rams, because they don't really have any picks. Check us out on the Ringer NFL Draft Show on Spotify. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next-level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. It is Wednesday, April 26th. A couple months ago, Ben Winston, who was producing the Grammys, came on the town to talk about the future of award shows. They've been a staple of TV for decades, but audiences aren't tuning in nearly as much as they once did. And it's unclear if they'll find an audience on streaming. Ben had some strong thoughts on how powerful these shows can still be, especially on social media. And his Grammys rebounded from the COVID shows to 12.4 million viewers. So good for him. Now Ben's producing another big show, and it's a bittersweet one for him and his team. After eight years, The Late Late Show with James Corden is airing its final episode on Friday. And CBS has said that The Late Late Show franchise will end with Corden. It'll be replaced this fall by a reboot of At Midnight, a Comedy Central comedy game show from 20 years ago, basically because it's much cheaper. It's a super interesting moment for late night as a genre. TV ratings are way down. Ad revenue from all those YouTube clips is peanuts compared to the 30-second spot. And the shows themselves are expensive to produce, namely because the hosts can make 10 to $20 million a year or more. And because of their topicality, like award shows, they don't really work on streaming, or at least not yet. Many think Late Late Show is the first of what might be several of these franchises to just go away after decades. LA Magazine reported this past week that the cost to do Corden's show was about 60 to $65 million a year, and it was netting less than $45 million. Ben has some thoughts on those numbers, namely, he doesn't think they're right, as well as the value overall of these TV franchises and how he squeezed money out of Corden's show beyond advertising. So he's back for round two. Ben Winston on the end of The Late Late Show and the future of late night TV. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Ben Winston, partner at Fullwell 73, head of a very prolific production company that makes scripted shows. They've got Mammals on Amazon. They did the Elton John concert at Dodger Stadium. They do the Kardashians, Friends Reunion, Adele at Griffith Park. Tons of stuff, and he is a returning champion to this show. Welcome, Ben. I'm very honored. Thank you for having me back. 
we probably got more feedback on any episode we've ever done uh, from the one you did around the Grammys. Maybe some of the analysts who come on and say a bunch of crazy shit and people go nuts. Maybe some more feedback from that. But we always get you during a busy week of production. And this is an especially busy week for you. You are wrapping up the Late Late Show with James Corden. After eight years, you've got kind of amazing set of shows this week. Um, how are things going? It's good. It's a really emotional week. You know, we've done 1,200 shows now. We've been on for eight years. And we have literally two more shows tonight. We finish on Thursday with a two-hour sort of special at 10 p.m. and at 12.30. And then that's it. And it's, um, yeah, it's amazing. You know, it's sort of quite a remarkable journey it's been. It's been the greatest eight years of my life. It's changed all of our lives. And it's a real sort of emotional time that it's coming to an end. You got Adele and... Tom Cruise on the final show. So you got Tom Cruise and the Oscars couldn't get him. So by definition, your show is bigger than the Oscars. Yeah, well, I hope it rates bigger than the Oscars. <laughs> but yes, we've got Adele, we've got Tom Cruise, we have a surprise sketch that I think will shock a few people. We've got Harry Styles, we've got Will Ferrell. It's, it's going to be a great night of celebration of the last eight years on Thursday. All right. So I wanted to have you on today because just like we talked about the future of award shows when you were on for the Grammys, this is a, a moment for late night. It's been written about, and I think people in the business are talking about this because it's not just Corden leaving the Late Late Show. It's the entire Late Late Show franchise going away. And you know, to many, it seems like this is sort of an inflection point where the future of this entire genre is in question. You know, the viewership is not there on linear TV. The ad rates for the digital segments are fine, but not great. Not as much as the networks are getting from their linear outlets. And these hosts make a lot of money. <laughs> I mean, I won't ask what Gordon makes, but like most of these hosts make eight figures at least to do these shows. So the economics of the late night franchises are kind of going haywire. How do you see it having now given up the perch? Well, listen, it's a debate that's going on. We know that it's happening. It's an interesting one because it's a debate that's happening for all of network television. The only difference is late night has the time slot in the title. So people go, well, what about late night? It is network television in general. To our experience, when we started, and I think it's important that I, I sort of speak from what we did, because I think that actually it's really interesting with going off air, James's choice to, to leave. And what's fascinating about it is that actually, I think maybe Amber Ruffin aside, we are the newest show in late night that's still on air eight years later. People, Samantha B or Larry Wilmore, David Spade or Lily Singh, they've come and gone. Chelsea Handler, Hassan Minaj. Streamers have tried it, but what's interesting is you'd never have thought from all of those that have come, they'd all have gone and we were still here. And this started, you and I, me being back on this pod, because you emailed me over the weekend about an article that was there that said, you know, our show, the CBS show was losing 15 to $20 million a year, I think. I didn't actually read there, the article. There was a piece in LA Magazine by Brian Stelter this past weekend that suggested that the show is costing between 60 and $65 million a year to produce, but was netting less than $45 million, which one off-record executive said was not sustainable. Now, tell me why that is correct or incorrect. Well, it inspired me to come back without even reading it. It angered me enough. Because I think that is looking at it through an entirely old lens. And it's also almost sort of disrespecting what this show has achieved and how it makes money. Of course, if we're looking simply at the commercials that are on at 1237, then 
we're never going to be able to make back the money that this show's cost. But that's never from day one, ever what this show wanted to do. We firstly approached the digital age. We embraced it. We never really looked at our ratings. We always looked at our YouTube numbers. If you look at Adele the other night that we launched on Monday, I think it's something like 9 million views in its two days. There is ways of monetizing that. We've had yeah, product- less, less than on linear television, though. But not if you've got product placement in there. Not if you've got a bar in your studio that's sponsored by Heineken. Not if you do take a break integrations with various companies that we've done over a year that, that are real handsome figures. Not if you're including spin-offs, of which we've got three. Carpool on Apple, Drop the Mic, Visual Suspects, one of the number one shows in France. We've got, does, does Brian know how many Carpool karaoke microphones we sold at Christmas? I think it might be a fair few. Um, we're also a show that is more watched internationally than any other. Partly, you could say, because we're not as political as the other shows. But when you look at our show and you go and, and you come at it going, oh, well, you know, that's they're, they're making a loss. It, it annoys us because here is a host who had a standing start. This wasn't a guy that came from The Daily Show or came from SNL and therefore got an opportunity for uh, any grace period. This is a guy who burst onto the scene with iconic bits from your carpools to your crosswalks to your spill your guts to your drop the mics to your roll calls every night doing something ambitious that, of course, we needed a budget to pay for. But as we sit here eight years on, he's got 12 Emmys, three spin-offs, 29 million subscribers, 14 billion views online. I don't think that signals the end of late night. I think that signals how you've got to maybe approach it slightly differently. But just to go, oh, well, it's the end. I think that is... Uh, a shame because I think the format is entertaining and these networks and channels still need them. They just need to approach them differently, like James had the vision to do when he set out on this show. Okay, a lot there. So let's start with the premise of Late Night Show as essentially incubation pad. Because you're right, you guys have done a ton off of the cachet and the testing ground of that show. Created other shows create a lot of value for your company, Full Well 73. Others are doing that too. Fallon has That's My Jam, Absolutely. a couple others. Kimmel does that as well. Uh, you know, Cole Trevor Bear's Noah doing, is doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Colbert is doing the show that's going to replace you. And that is a future. But then it becomes a question of, well, then why do you even need the linear show? Just do a digital version, have it cost a lot less, and then you can perhaps sell other shows based on stuff you create for those digital shows why do you need the format of a talk show with a couple guests and a band and a monologue and all that stuff that we know as a traditional late night show well that would be a crazy idea just to do a simple digital show just to think that you're going to be able to have bits that grow out of bits without actually a home for them belittles the entire format of them why wouldn't you have it on network why would you turn down the ad buys why would you turn down having a face of a channel where channels are so hard these days to pin people that are associated with the channel. Why wouldn't you have a platform where you can promote your other shows and your prime times and your sitcoms? Why wouldn't you have a long form version on network and then a short form version on YouTube and an even shorter form on TikTok? Then you've got well, namely, you don't want to pay a host ten million dollars a year. Well, maybe, maybe, but I think that the if if you look for us, it's been the big swings that of the things that cost us money. The talk show cycle, the cheapest shows and the least ambitious shows are the ones that have you know your monologue and talk. I think the ones that where you try and do something, whether Michelle Obama playing dodgeball or jumping out of a plane with Tom Cruise, driving through Liverpool with McCartney, they are ambitious ideas, and therefore we've had to justify, we've had to bring in budget 
to be able to do that. So what does, just, just to listeners have a reference point here, what does your show cost per year? I don't think it's appropriate to say, only because that's a CBS thing, and I don't think I would, I would want to oh, okay. say that. But I think if it didn't give it value, then James wouldn't have been offered a new three-year deal. So, you know, I don't think the article can be so correct as it was stated like that. But I, but I also think, why wouldn't you have a platform and a show where the biggest stars in the world can come and play? Now, we don't necessarily need the rating every single night. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be uh, in the same way that it was 20 years ago, where, you know, it was the most watched on TV. But then nothing is. Everything has had to change. Where I think late night will become really interesting again is where these streamers are now, in a way, some of the shows that have come before it that haven't worked on streamers, maybe we're a little bit too early. And what I think will be interesting as Paramount Plus hopefully grows and Peacock grows and therefore, you know, Colbert and the Fallons and the Seths will rely more on those viewers. What's interesting is we're seeing Disney Plus start doing live content, Netflix doing live content, Amazon taking a lot of sport, Apple taking a lot of sport. Ultimately, we're going to end up where we were 20 years ago, where we have everything on five or six channels. The only difference is we have to pay for each one individually. True. It's unclear whether the in-the-moment audience is ever coming back. We've talked about this. The fact that audience habits are changing. The kick off your shoes, turn on your favorite late-night host and fall asleep live as you're watching, that's more likely going to be reruns of The Office on Netflix or on Peacock or, you know, reality show that you're four episodes into and you're watching on your own time, the appointment viewing for these shows is just going away. I mean, if you look at the three 1130 shows combined, they're getting 5 million viewers some nights. And that's less than one of those shows was generating. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah, look, in, in the same way that loads of people used to buy only milk and now there's lots of alternatives. Yeah, it's no, like, I get it. I, we all know this stuff. We know we that know and we know exactly. why it's but, happening. But it makes a lovely headline to hit these shows with and that's not I get always it. But I feel like our listeners know that these audience habits are changing and the viewers are going to streaming. The question is, can the late night format follow them? And if so, in what form will it take? Who is going to reinvent or invent that format that works on Netflix? Because we have not seen it yet. No, we haven't. And, and well, we have to a certain extent. I would say that you've seen it via us from the figures that, and, and the stats that I've given you on, on the Corden show. And I think that you only need to look at a massive number that John Oliver gets on YouTube or, or, or an interview that, that Seth will do that will pop or a viral moment from Fallon that leads to lots of spin-offs. Ultimately, it's changing, no doubt. It's not going to be as effective as it ever was. But then what is? And so we have to, for it doesn't mean that there's no use for it. It doesn't mean, well, the last man turned the lights out. It just means that entertainment, whatever it is, is going to find a way to the consumer. It is. So what we need to do as program makers is make the best thing we possibly can. A great example of that is this week with our show. If you can think about it, we're going in prime time on Thursday. And yet our biggest bit, you could argue, in that primetime show, we released on Monday online. If ever there was a signal that we are a, we are a show that does things slightly differently and in ways to attract people to the whole family of viewing of what you can watch with Corden, because what we see is people will watch that Adele clip online and then they'll go and find another clip and then they'll go and find another one. And then before you know it, they've done a deep dive and they've watched us for two, three hours a night. 
perhaps that is better than them watching us while they fall asleep at 12.37. Maybe. I just wonder if the stuff that that goes around that stuff, the chat, the monologue, if that just doesn't need to go away. Give me the argument of why it should. Because it's topical. It immediately expires the next day when the news comes out, um, rendering these shows uh, with shorter legs and they can't you know, stay on the service and be, be relevant to people. Uh, the reason why I think a show like John Oliver does okay on streaming is because it's weekly and it feels like you can watch it on a Monday or Tuesday and you're okay. These late night shows feel topical and topicality is bad on streaming. So just get rid of it and focus on the stuff that you guys have done really well, which are these stunts and creative endeavors that you guys shoot all over the world. Like that stuff is great and you get huge stars to do it. That can cut through. I just don't know that the Kimmel and Fallon monologues are doing them any favor anymore. Yeah, I, I take your point. I definitely don't think, I would never argue that it hits the heights of what it did. And I can't tell you what is going to happen in five to 10 years because there's so much that has happened in streaming that we wouldn't necessarily have predicted. So we don't know that topicality is always going to be irrelevant to people because I think you can see from sports and awards and news that people still care about what's going on. And in the same way that, when Trump happened, Colbert's ratings go up. When John Oliver's got a, when somebody's got a big, huge interview, you know, when, when Fallon is interviewing Michelle Obama, that numbers goes up. People do care about it. That's rare. Bill Maher will get a bump from having Elon Musk this weekend. Correct. He will. And so therefore, actually, what we do is you play the percentage games. You, you can't, what we've always got to know, and what we always did on our show, is we always went, look, it can't be amazing every night. We have to accept that. There's probably, you know, there's 25 guests in all of late night that you're like really excited about. Like it can't be a winner every night, but there is something to that regular viewer, that person who comes every single night and falls asleep to you, that person who the next morning checks all your bits and your clips, that person who is on your TikTok channel, that person who is interacting with you. And actually you need regularity within it because although what you're saying is correct about people going to streaming, there is something about a relationship with that host. And we're seeing it in the response to James this week. You know, we saw it when a million people, a million people applied for tickets for James Corden's London shows. Like that is so insane. And that shows you that actually being on and being regular, sure, you're not always going to hit the heights of Top Gun sketches with Tom Cruise or Dodgeball with Michelle Obama, but people like checking in with them and people like falling asleep with them and waking up with them. And I think they will always be a market for those hosts who we love. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, File a claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Can you break a new host? Now, I mean, there's a lot of people who believe that these five guys who are doing it right now on broadcast, the Jimmys, Colbert, Gordon, Seth, that they will be the last guys 
to do that. That it is impossible to break a new host in these shows. So the networks will keep paying them while it makes sense, but they will not find a new host for late night when Seth is done. And The Daily Show is currently auditioning people to be a new host. And there's more and more talk that they may go to a rotating host or they may bring in someone who's already a big name, something like that, because it's so difficult in this environment to break someone new. Do you agree with that? I think that is a hard premise to argue with. The fact that, like I said earlier, James is the newest late night host on television and he's leaving after eight years shows that you're correct. People have come and gone. I think that the the fundamental thing is people can afford to take less risk now. Because if they were to bring in a host on the Late Late Show to replace James, James has 12, 13 returning bits that people love. He has a YouTube audience. He has those spin-offs. He has those product placement. He has those brands that like to be associated with him. I think starting that again, the cost of building that set, getting that team together, doing that marketing campaign, essentially that sort of $15 million swing that you will need to take just to start up the show. I think that right now in this current environment of cost cutting and slight nerve towards what's going to happen with network television, I think it becomes much harder for CBS. And I can't speak for CBS, I want to clarify that. But I think the way CBS backed us when we started in 2015, the way they said, we trust you, we back you, we'll support investment in digital, the way that they made that there were no commercials for the first six months on any of our YouTube clips, things like that they did. I think that's a lot harder in the current environment of companies being sold and merged, and new bosses and everything else. I think it's a much harder thing for people to do. So I think that for someone like James, who's unknown in America, I think it would be nearly impossible. I think that somebody like him, who, who, who no one gave a single chance to to succeed, that would be very hard. However, if somebody, a huge star, came off an SNL or came off a Daily Show or came off a sitcom or came off a movie, I think then you've got a massive advantage that we never had because they have an audience that will come with them. If suddenly it was announced Tina Fey is doing a late night show, I think that would be great. But I yeah. think people like Trevor Noah and James Corden, who much less people in America knew, but they came and they succeeded. That is a much harder thing to do. And whether we'll see that again will depend on if the networks are brave enough. And I can't speak to if they are. Well, we have an example playing out right now. We have two, actually, because we have The Daily Show looking for a host. And I think they'll ultimately go with someone like Hassan Minaj, who was great when he guest hosted and is a name and brings an audience of some sort. Or they'll go with a group host type thing where they'll just have a bunch of people come in and host for a few weeks, or they'll do you know, a couple hosts that switch off. But we have another example in the show that is replacing Late Late Show because CBS is going with At Midnight, which is a format that they own. It was a Comedy Central show from uh, the early 2000s. And you know this because you were one of the people in the mix to potentially do something to replace Late Late Show. You know it's going to be cheap or a lot cheaper than what you guys do. So we're going to be able to see what a cheaper version of a network late night show delivers. Well, I think if it costs less, then I think that the linear rating it gets could end up paying for it. Do mm -hmm. I think that at midnight is suddenly going to spawn, you know, three spin-offs and product placements and microphones that you buy at Christmas? Uh, no, and I don't think they would expect that either. But I think that if, if the cost is kept down, 
then the linear commercials that are being sold could end up paying for it. And so actually, you could argue that it's a smart move by CBS because what they're doing is they're saying, look, the less it costs, the less pressure that is on any of them. And, um, and I, think it, it, I think it could do really well. It, what's really interesting is they were willing to keep the Late Late Show going. So with James, an established now host with everything he had done, they were keen for that to keep going. But if he's not going, then I think that, it, you know, maybe it wasn't wise to go after one person. And, and I think At Midnight could be very successful because of that. Well, and Colbert is producing, so he has an incentive to promote the show, which he never really promoted Late Late Show that much. And I think that they are going to see maybe there will be a rotating cast of hosts or multiple people that they can promote on that show. So we'll see what ends up happening. Um, on the live TV front, what do you make of this Love is Blind debacle on Netflix? Why is it so hard to do live on streaming? Because you, you did the Elton show on Disney+. Plus. That seemed to be okay. Yeah, I, I listen. I don't know. I, I mean, I don't. I think I don't see why it should be that. I, I, it's really hard for me to speak to because I I wasn't in the truck and I don't know what happened. I'm sure things can go wrong on live. That's why it's absolutely sick making and sold. SNL something. does it every week. They do. They do. Uh, it's probably a bit different because they've got a satellite and a control room set up and they're tested so often. And I think when you're building something for a one-off, I think it's different. I can't speak to what happened that night. I think live telly is difficult. I don't think that the it should make too much difference if it's streaming, but I am not technologically sound enough to advise you on that, of what happened there. But I think that things can go wrong on live. We've seen that before. Uh, I think it was terribly unfortunate. I felt devastated for all that production team that probably put in a lot of work. But I think that I hope that streamers keep taking that risk and going for live because Live is exciting. I sat there. I mean, granted, I was in the truck for the Elton John moment, and it felt like so unbelievably exciting broadcasting in 150 countries that night and doing that live three-hour gig at Dodgers. But then at the same time, I was on my sofa not going out the night Chris Rock did his live show. And actually, I love Chris Rock, but if that hadn't have been live, I'm not sure I'd even have seen it yet. But because it was live, I was like, oh, I want to I watch it. So it worked. Uh, it got me there. And I think that is the same mentality that I think people will have for television as we go forward. I think we've always viewed streamers as oh, in the way that we viewed box sets and DVDs. And I think that that will start to change as the Chris Rocks and the Disneys and the Eltons and all those events start happening and sport. And then our mentality will change and the new generation's mentality will change even more. Well, you guys have certainly made your mark with Late Show, Late Late Show. And I um, want to congratulate you. And I can't Matt, wait to see you guys. Positive. That's the most Isn't beautiful. Positive. Look at you. I have a big heart, Ben. The most positive you usually are is not terrible. That's <laughs> you. Anybody else is a five star review. But if Matt says it wasn't terrible, <laughs> that means it's basically. I, that's not what I said. Uh, listen, I, I think you guys have done a lot with the format. And uh, I'm bummed that the show is going away, but I know you have a very robust company that's going to be doing stuff for a while. So we'll, we, we have not seen the last from you guys. Thank you, Matt. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me back on. Yep. Thanks for coming on. We are back with the call sheet coming at you from Las Vegas. Craig, are you jealous? I'm jealous of the robot that made your daiquiri. <laughs> it's not a robot. They have a machine-made daiquiri bar. It's not just daiquiris. They have a bunch of 
lame titled cocktails like uh, Up All Night and stupid stuff like that. I will admit I have not actually spent much time at that bar yet. Uh, I've been mostly cruising around going to the different studio presentations because it's CinemaCon, which is the theater owner convention that happens every year in Las Vegas where the studios get up and show their movies and talk about how great they are and how box office is coming back and COVID is a memory. Um, ironically, last year, everyone got home from CinemaCon and had COVID. But uh, this year, hopefully, it will not be that. My prediction, you know, I, we've only gone through the Sony and Warner Brothers presentations so far. Universal and Paramount and the rest are coming. This is a no Netflix zone. They do not allow Netflix in the building. And in fact, if you say the word Netflix, people start hissing. Why? Why? Is it because they don't release movies in theaters? Yeah, Netflix is the enemy. Literally, people, Helen Mirren got up on stage last year and said, fuck Netflix. And everybody cheered. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> it's, it is like they are villains here because they are killing the theatrical business. And these people, this is their entire livelihood. They release movies in theater and they cheer every time the CEO of Warner Discovery, David Zasloff, got up today and said, we release movies in theaters. We believe in the theatrical experience. And literally, well, well, it was like okay, Bono up there. What were they saying three years ago when it was Jason Kylar putting everything on uh, it, they were online pissed. day and date? They, they were pissed. And of course, Jason Kylar didn't show up at CinemaCon. He would not show his face here. But David Zasloff, it's a big deal that he showed up because he wanted to show these people that he cares about movies and theaters. So that was a big deal. But my prediction, I, I've seen enough of the Barbie materials now. They showed Ooh. an extended look at the Barbie movie. And my prediction is that the biggest showdown of the summer is going to be Barbie versus Oppenheimer, the Chris Nolan movie, which is funny because, uh, you know, Chris Nolan made his movie at Universal after a long relationship with Warner Brothers kind of blew up over the decision to put all the movies on HBO Max during the pandemic, which he said was terrible. And he called HBO Max the worst streaming service. And then he took his next movie to Universal. And then Warner Brothers put Barbie on the same date that Nolan usually releases his movies, that third week in July. And now it's the showdown of the summer, Barbie versus Oppenheimer. And I am prepared to say that Barbie is going to kick Oppenheimer's butt. I mean, if you walk into a theater ready to see a movie, and you see the two posters next to one another, and, and you see Brian Gosling and Margot Robbie in Barbie, or you see Cillian Murphy in a movie called Oppenheimer, and there's an explosion in the background. You're choosing Barbie like 85% of the time. You yeah. just are. And I've heard it's almost three hours, and Barbie just looks like fun. The, everything they've shown showed that, that Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, who wrote the script, sort of nailed it. I mean, we'll see what the movie is. I've been duped by good trailers in the past, but... Greta Gerwig got up today and was lovely and charming. And it just seems like they have the right tone with this. Margot Robbie looked, uh, looked great. Ryan Gosling looked like kind of a hobo wearing a pink jacket and his hair all tussled. But they it seems like they got it. And I am going to bet that this movie will blow Oppenheimer away. No pun intended. At least opening weekend. We'll see how long it plays. And Oppenheimer could be an Oscar movie as well. I love Nolan. I love all his movies. I hope this one's great. I've heard it's very good. But uh, it's a tough, tough thing. They should move it. They should move that movie to the fall. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's the Barbie has that baseline IP bump. Like, even if people don't know what it is, it's like, oh, there's a movie. There's a yeah, Barbie of course. movie. I will and go kids, see that. And if they do it right, kids will see it. Parents will see it. 
Uh, Nolan just loves that lucky weekend and he's just adamant about it. You know, I think probably there are some at Universal who would love to move the movie and not have to deal with that. You know, August is pretty wide open, but Nolan does not like that. He's had a great track record on that date. So we shall see. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Ben Winston. I want to thank producer Craig Horbeck. And I want to thank Jesse Lopez for editing. And I want to thank you. We will see you tomorrow. 